0: We are continuing. Uh, see, last week we didn't meet. The week before we had Aaron who was doing a, a one off sermon, actually a two off sermon. He's going to be finishing that at some point. Um, but we are going to go back to the From the Start series that we had been doing for a few weeks. And what we've been doing is focusing in on kind of the beginning basics of how God created things to be. The world around us seems to be going in one direction, and yet God calls us to live in a certain way. And he designed us to live that way. And he designed us to sort of have this, this need for certain things. Um, and we talked about work, that God had given us work. So it was something that we could, we could fulfill as part of our identity in him. We talked about marriage, right? It's one of those things that God gave us as a gift to be able to create the world in the way that he wanted it to be created. And to allow his gospel to be propagated out into the world. Uh, we talked about God's creation, Um, And so today we're going to be focusing in on kind of where it all went wrong. You might have listened to some of those other sermons and you were like, hey buddy, you're talking about work as if um, it's like this wonderful blessing and my work is terrible. It's toil. Man, I work, I slave away and I don't like my job at all and I don't look at it that way and it stinks. Or you might be saying, hey, that, that that sermon on marriage you did is great, but my marriage is busted, man. It's broken. We are so far apart right now, we can't even make make it work we can't even see a place where we could be back together or, or making this thing happen. Right? You might have looked at God's creation you kind of look around and you're like, hey God's creation seemed like he made everything perfect but that, that's not the story of my life. And so today we're gonna to kind of put a little context to it and understand that those things, those that brokenness, that toil of work, the broken marriages, the brokenness in the creation around us, those things come from somewhere. Right? They come from somewhere. And the story in Genesis is that God creates all of this stuff and He gives us this dominion. He gives us this chance to be in control, to live in marriage, and to have, you know, this amazing freedom and this really important job that He's given us. And yet we do things that break it. Like We live in brokenness and things aren't exactly the way that God created them. Today our story takes us in that direction. And so I want to start here just by reviewing in Genesis chapter 2, and then I'm going to mostly be, hey, what's up, man, Uh, in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible in your hand, you can just open up to Genesis chapter 3. I also want to encourage you, because I slaved away on this. I made sure that this worked great. Our app uh, has the sermon notes right on the front page. You can click on it. And they have fill-ins. Yeah, we're fancy. Right? You can follow along and push the button and put in the words. And I'm preaching out of it, so I won't miss any. I promise. If you're one of those completionists, I will give you the satisfaction of getting every single one. All right, let's just agree on that. So, if you could follow along, either in your Bible or in a Bible app or on our web page, slash program or in the app, I think it will help you follow along with what we're doing. So, I'm going to start here in Genesis chapter two, verse fifteen, and give you the context. So here's what it says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's a great job. He's given him dominion. He's given both of them dominion over his creation, both uh, Adam and Eve. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly... Die. This is how God set things up. He said, hey, I want you to live in in charge of everything I've created, and I want you to pair up and be a team, and I'm going to give you sex. It's going to draw you guys together. It's going to be awesome, right? That's part of your your marriage thing. You're going to live in freedom. You're going to have a significant role to play in creation. This is looking pretty good, right? Like if you were dropped in the middle of this and given that job and given the pair, you know, and feeling like everything's complete, I'm guessing Adam and Eve are feeling awesome about this situation. And I think it's interesting because you might sort of step back and say, All right, all right, pastor guy, you're telling me that everything is broken in the world, that racism exists, that wars exist, that hatred exists, that sin exists, all these things because somebody ate the fruit off of a stupid tree. Right? You're telling me that God is that small and petty that he created something just to kind of screw up Adam and Eve, and I I would say that's not what I'm saying at all. And in fact, if you look at this command and you understand it from God's perspective, what does He say to them? The Lord, doing stuff outside is always fun. The Lord God commanded the man, He commanded him. He said, This is the most important. Here's the command You are what? Nobody's following along. You're free. He starts with freedom. God is is not here to micromanage or control. He's here to give freedom, always more freedom. He's always giving us freedom. We tend to focus in um, oh go away. We tend to focus in on the the entire thing. You are free to, except to eat from this one tree in the garden, right? You're free to eat everything but you must not eat. And what God is trying to give them is freedom. He's focused on creating all kinds of opportunities for them. You know, I was talking with somebody this week and they had like a huge life choice to make coming up and they were kind of working through their options and we sat down. You should by the way, when you need a piece of advice, sit down with your pastor. I'll open up a Bible and show you some stuff. Like it, I may not know everything and I may not be the wisest person in the world. Sometimes my wife might actually question whether I am wise or not. But I can at least show you some stuff. So I was having this conversation uh, with someone and they were trying to figure out what the their life looked like moving forward and making decisions. And I think sometimes we get like stuck on this idea that there's this line in front of us and we have to follow what God has called us to do. But there's this like I have to make the right decision every time and when my life comes to a a, a decision point, I got to make sure I choose the right one. And I feel like we have this linear idea of our lives. That we can either do what God has called us to do or not. And most of the time, what God has actually done in our lives is created a lot of freedom and a lot of option. That if we're following Him and we're listening to His Holy Spirit, that most of the options available to us are good and are part of what God has called us to do. Now, there are times when we feel very strongly about what God has called us to. And we don't do it because we're afraid or because we don't see the end that God sees. And that would be a place where we'd be out of step with the Spirit. But as long as we're in step with the Spirit, He creates opportunity for us. And that's what He does for them. He says, you are free. That tree over there will create death. Stay away from that one. But you're free. You have all kinds of opportunity. All kinds of options in front of you. I've given you control of all of this. You're in charge. Right? Right? I've given you the perfect pairing to do and work this entire system. Just that one right there, that'll kill you. But the rest of this is all about freedom. And we think sometimes that sin is actually just the bad behavior that we do, right? That sin is like a specific kind of behavior that we do. That, And, and that's true, it is. But I think we miss sometimes that sin is actually much more about us not letting God take the role that he wants to take. Not letting him be in charge or be on the throne. And it's not just our bad behavior, but it's actually sitting on God's throne and making decisions for ourselves and trusting our own ways instead of God's ways. But like, yeah, it's a tree and it's, it's fruit and you shouldn't do what God has called you to do. But more than that, it's about not trusting God and wanting to go your own way and be in control of your own life and make your own decisions and in doing so you take god off of the throne and you put yourself on the throne i if you think you don't do that you're wrong every one of us struggle with the idea of letting god be in charge and having faith that he is good and that he gives us these boundaries for our good that he's giving us freedom and he doesn't want to micromanage But he wants to allow us to have a lot of opportunity. And that's what it was for Adam and Eve. But that's, here's where it goes wrong. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right? And I think we have to start by just understanding this idea that this, this serpent represents Satan in this. And that we have this enemy that wants to hurt us, that wants to tempt us, that wants to see us make poor decisions. And when this enemy kind of comes in, he does a few things to kind of get our attention and to tempt us, right? So the first fill-in there is we have an enemy, Satan, who tempts us. And what does he say? He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan comes in and he always creates doubt, this is where it starts, where it goes from faith to doubt, where Satan comes in and he asks questions and kind of comes in and kind of tries to, to get in there and to change the things that you believe or to question those things so that you lose faith in what God is doing and what God is, is saying. And he comes in and he says, did God really say? Yes, God said. God gave you a clear directive. Yes, he said this in his word. The question is, are you going to believe him at his word or are you going to allow Satan to create that doubt In God's word. And that's what Satan does. He questions God's word. He twists God's word. He uses God's word against you and and God. He does the same thing to Jesus when he's tempting Jesus in the wilderness. It's how he operates. And I feel like there's a lot of this in the world around us, in the culture around us, where we say, Hey, here's a basic truth. This is what God said. Here it is. You can read it for yourself. This one doesn't take any knowledge for grace to understand Greek or Hebrew, to do any sort of depth, in-depth study. it just It's right there in front of you. Here's what God says. And then you get somebody online saying, well, is it really that? Yeah, that's what it says right there. The Bible is, is actually pretty basic. I, I go out of my way, even though I do study in-depth, and I do look at all the original languages, and understand that we're reading from the original Greek and the original Hebrew, and we can make decisions based on what we think that should mean. A lot of people believe that the Bible has been translated like 40 or 50 times. It hasn't. We have the original language. We have it in Greek. We have it in Hebrew. We have it in Aramaic. We can go back and we can read it just about word for word and understand exactly what it says. And God is pretty clear, right? One of the reasons why we read modern translations is to make it as clear as possible for any person who can pick it up, right? A 12-year-old should be able to pick up the Bible and understand it mostly, now, there are some complex passages that take a lot of depth of study. And you know what? I'm here to help you with those. All right? We have a lot of people in this church are here to help you with that. But basically, it's understandable. And we don't have to question it very much. It's more an issue of obedience than it is an issue of needing to doubt God's Word. Did God really say? That's how Satan starts. And then Satan focuses on restrictions. He says, hey, did God really say that tree, that tree over there? Let's look at the tree. You should, you should eat from the tree. Satan is actually trying to focus on the restriction instead of the freedom that God has given them, right? He doesn't say, hey, look how awesome it is that God's given you everything in this entire world for you to be in charge of, except for that thing that creates death. Like, he's given all, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give context. He just goes, hey, you're not supposed to touch that, but how could you be free unless you tried it? Right? I do a lot of, uh, premarital counseling with people who are thinking about getting married and one of the things that we always talk about and in fact as a youth pastor I'm like I'm sad to say this was the most asked question uh you know like whenever we would put out a box in our youth room and say you can ask any question and we'll deal with it at youth group it was like nine questions out of ten were how far sexually can I go with my girlfriend it was always it was almost always a boy asking this question by the way I don't really know how that works exactly but how far can I go with my girlfriend? That was like the, old, the question that like every kid asked. And when I get into premarital conversations, we have conversations about, hey, what does it look like for you to honor God before you get to your, your marriage day, right? I think a lot of us, the way that we think about things and the way that we, we, we look at things, we look at the restriction. We're focused on trying to do something that we think we want to do, that we think will bring us joy or will fulfill some sort of uh, fantasy for ourselves. And God says, hey, don't do that. Hey, look at it differently. Hey, don't focus on the temptation. Focus on so like I've always had this like idea. Like I would get these you know these middle school boys or high school boys, and they would come up and be like, Hey, I got this, got a girlfriend. I want to want to do it God's way. What? How far is too far? And I would say that's not. It's not the right question. The right question is how can you honor God with you and her. What if it was your sister in another relationship with another guy? How far would you want? That's the other way that I would answer that question, right? The question is, and I loved it. I always wanted the boy to come up and say, Hey, I want to honor God and I want to treat this girl like a child of God that she is. And I want to do everything I can to honor her. What does that look like? How do I do that? You know, I never, never one time ever got that question. And I want you to know, Satan focuses on the restriction. And he says, how could you be free unless you try it? He's the one that says, hey, you can't buy a car without test driving. He's the one that says, hey, you got to live a little when you're in college. He's the one that says, hey, it's time for you to take care of yourself. You know, forget about the rest of the world. Just take it. He's the one that does that. We should be asking, right? How can we live in the freedom that God has given us? How can we take advantage of the control and the dominion that God has given us? What does it look like for us to be uh, fulfilling the way that God created us, right? So, Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, it goes on. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And so, what was Eve's mistake that she was not clear on God's words? What does she say? You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it. God never told her not to touch it, right? God never told her that she would die from touching it. In fact, if Adam and Eve had chopped the tree down and created a boat and floated down the Euphrates, I'm pretty sure that would have worked. They were told not to eat it, not not to not touch it. And, And Eve is not even clear on what God's words are. She's all twisted up. Immediately, when Satan challenges her because she doesn't know God's words, right? Those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, but we're not in any way studying, reading His Word, doing anything to grow in our knowledge of who He is and what He's called us to do in, in His Word, how can we follow God's Word when we're not even clear on what God's Word is? We've got culture throwing stuff at us 24 7 throwing things at us, right? What about this problem? What about that problem? What about this? What about that? If you turn on social media, I mean, mine is probably full of that stuff because I'm a theology nerd, but you're probably running into videos of people saying, hey, remember the Bible? It's not true. This part's not true. This part's not true. Here's a question that you have to answer. Here's the thing you need to know, right? There always is that challenge, and most of the time they're asking questions that we can't even answer because we haven't studied God's Word. We aren't clear on what God's word says. We don't even we couldn't even say it correctly. Eve doesn't even know what God said. She says that if I touch it I'll die. And so what does Eve do to avoid touching it and to avoid she adds to God's word, which is legalism. He says she says you must not touch it or you will die. No, that's her adding a fence or a boundary. And I want you to know God does give us boundaries. Oh, it's green. He does give us boundaries. But those boundaries are for our good. We often want to fight against those boundaries. And the core problem with us when we're fighting against God's boundaries is whether or not we trust if God is good or not. If we trust that God is good, then we see those boundaries as a blessing. When he says, hey, don't do this, we can trust and know that if we do that, it's not for our good. Right? I feel like if you're a parent, you understand this. There are times you create boundaries for your kids, right? And it kind of, you don't even love it. You don't even love the fact that you have to create a rule or a boundary about something. But, you know, it's like, you know it's what's best for them. Uh, you know, we have this white couch that we inherited from the people who own the house before us. And I'll throw them under the bus all day. Who buys a white couch? Like, it's just a terrible choice. But we got it. And it fits the room perfect. And so now we have it. And I'm crazy. I'm crazy about not letting my kids eat on that couch. Why? Because I don't wanna kill them. I don't wanna choke my child. That's what it comes down to. You can't eat on that couch because I can't trust you and I can't trust myself to not overreact if you decide to spill something on that couch. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. This is actually my problem, not your problem, but here's a rule, here's a boundary. It's for your good. You don't wanna die, do you? You don't wanna be choked, right? I mean, not really. Mostly a force choke. Force choke? There we go. Perfect. Uh, but, but those boundaries are for our good. When we start to see God's law not as restrictive, but as protecting us, as giving us boundaries that are good and healthy for us, as understanding that God is good and he cares about us, Like that changes your perspective. When you see him as a father who loves you, as someone who wants your, the best for you, and when he gives you a boundary, you don't question and say, why is he why is he restricting me in this area? You say, this is the best thing for me. This is what my father, who loves me and wants the best for me, wants. And we don't need to add things to that. right? In this situation, Eve says, I don't want to touch the tree at all. I don't want to be near the tree. I'm going to avoid putting my hand on the tree because that could kill me. That's not, that's not what God asked her to do. God gave her a boundary that boundary was for her good. And if she had respected it in the right way, she wouldn't have turned to legalism and she wouldn't have found herself in the situation that she was in. Like, legalism is not going to serve you. Right? Creating more and more and more boundaries is what the Pharisees did and what Jesus went bananas against. Where he just lost his mind over the idea that they were creating all these fences and keeping people from having a relationship with him. Uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Here's where it goes on. He says, this is uh, the serpent speaking back. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the fill in here is Satan lies. At the end of it, when Satan tries to get us to do the work, tries to whisper to us, to lie to us, and we stand and we understand God's word and we fight him with that, then he just changes his tactic and goes to all out lies. He says, "Hey, you won't die if you eat from that tree." That's not true. That's Satan lying just bald straight up bald-faced lying to her and saying, "Hey, you won't you won't die." God didn't say that. That's not how it's going to work. We need to be able to stand up against that and understand what God has said who he is, right? And it seems like Satan tempts us where we are weak he says for God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be open and you will be like God he says hey I know your weakness Eve I've seen you in control of all this and I know that deep down you think you could do a better job than God deep down you think God may be holding out a little bit from you deep down you think that maybe God his way isn't exactly the best or most fun way and I, I don't know about you but I've often had that thought or struggled In that way. That God calls me to do something. He gives me a boundary I don't like. He calls me to do something that I'm not maybe 100% down with. And I have to decide whether I'm going to be obedient to what he's called me to do. Or whether I'm going to serve myself and put myself on that throne. And he knew that that was going to tempt Eve. That that was something that would hit Eve in a weak spot. Verse 5. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And this is the craziest verse in the entire thing. Because now we know this marriage isn't working, and now we know that Adam is also finding himself tempted in the same way that Eve is. Right? It just throws it in there. Like, she also gave some to her husband, who, by the way, was with her. Have you ever been reading scripture and you just wonder, like what it looks like or what the situation is or how it's come together? I love it when they put a little phrase in there to answer the question that you're asking, right? The author here is like, yeah, she gave some to her husband and you're thinking, okay, did she go get him? Did she take it to him? Where was he? How did this work? She goes, no, no, no. He was there. And if you look into the original language and you really study what this means, it means he was there the whole time. He was right next to her. He was just watching the entire thing happen. A solid, godly marriage does not allow for one person to watch the other one decide to sin and then jump in and do the exact same thing. That's not what it looks like to be in a healthy marriage. We're meant to challenge each other to follow God's commands. That when we see one of us starting to go off and veer off into a way that we shouldn't, we challenge each other to follow God's commands. We don't, we don't just allow each other. We're not codependent in that way, allowing each other to go to a place of sin. In fact, a lot of busted marriages, the thing that puts them over the edge is that one person sins and the other one follows them into sin and they are now kind of feeding into each other and creating sin in each other's lives instead of sharpening each other and challenging each other and causing the marriage to be healthy. Adam is a passive participant And the world has never been blessed by passive men. Can I just step aside for a second and talk to the men, the dads, the husbands, the men, and say that you can't be passive and follow what Jesus has called you to do. He's called you to serve your wife in a way that puts her above you, that serves her the way that Christ loved the church. He calls you to be active in the lives of your children, making sure that they grow up knowing who Jesus is. This isn't like a disconnect and let it happen and let mom raise the kids. You're called into being actively connected to your family and your kids. And if you're a guy who's not married and doesn't have children, yeah, there's still something here for you. You're called to honor God with every bit of your free time and your life, not to just throw it away, doing things that aren't fruitful for the kingdom. In fact, Paul says, hey, if you're single, you're in the best position to build God's kingdom and to invest in his church. And yet we would rather go home and spend 40 hours playing video games. I'm guilty too, right? Watch, you know, a Netflix queue full of stuff. Serve ourselves with our hobbies and the things that we love for ourselves and not invest in the church that God has put on this earth to love and serve the world around us. Passivity is not part of being a Christian, right? We're called into being active participants, not passive ones. Passivity in a marriage leads to the death of the marriage. Passivity in your relationship with Jesus leads to you disconnected from Jesus. Passivity in your parenting leads to a divide between you and your children. God has not called us to be passive. He has not called us to be passive. Adam has made a huge mistake. Eve's made a mistake and Adam's made a mistake and they're both terrible. Ultimately, sin is choosing ourselves and our way and rejecting God and His way. All right, we're going to finish this quickly. There's a big chunk of, of of scripture here, the next two or three ones here, but we're going to talk about now the consequences of sin, and this kind of transfers. Yes, the first part's temptation, and I. I hope and pray you meet the temptation of sin by understanding God's word and being obedient to what he's called you to. But the consequences of sin are now a whole nother thing for the world around us and for our own lives. And you say, why does all this bad stuff exist in this world? It exists because of sin. And more specifically, you have to say it exists because of my sin. Here's what it says, verse seven. Then the eyes of of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves and the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the lord among the trees of the garden but the lord called to the man where are you he said i heard you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked so i hid whoa so these guys have just been chilling doing the best job ever, being in an awesome marriage, naked all the time, just loving life, right? Until sin enters the picture and now they are running and hiding, right? Sin causes us to hide. Maybe you've been in a pattern of sin and you've just been trying to keep it away from people knowing what it is because you're worried they'll reject you or they'll judge you. I mean, I think of like a, a child being afraid of, to tell their parent what they've done, right? You get a kid who picks up that marker, that crayon and draws on the wall and they're like, oh no, when dad finds out, he's going to be so mad. I need to hide. Well, guess what? That plays out in a bigger way for us as adults where we scribble on the wall and then we try to hide from God and we try to hide our sin from others because we're worried that we'll be in trouble and we'll be rejected. But Jesus He doesn't really leave room for that. He just says, hey, I love you no matter what, and I am here to forgive the sin if you'll bring it out into the light, if you'll drag it out and confess it. Confess it to him, confess it to other people. Ask for their help in moving beyond that sin. Like, if we're not actively dealing with our sin as believers, then what do we think is happening? Are we perfect? Do we think that we don't sin? Are we unsure that there's sin in our lives? Because the way to handle this is not to hide, not to to keep it from people or keep it from God or pretend like it's okay. You haven't gotten away with anything, right? You know, I often think about like when you have like a toddler and you like walk into the room and they're like hiding, right? And they're just like on the couch and their heads turned And they're just kind of looking into the couch. Like they think because they can't see you that you can't see them. And what do we do as parents? We play around. Whoa, where's so and so? I can't find them anywhere. That's not how it works. God knows exactly what you're going through, what you've done. And He loves you anyways. He says, You don't have to hide. You don't have to hold this back. You don't have to protect. You don't have to keep this from people. Right? What are you doing? He asked the question, where are you to them? Well, How would you answer that if God asked you today, where are you? Where are you? Are you hiding your face thinking that you're keeping this from God? Are you hiding your face thinking that you're keeping this from other people? Eventually, your sin will be dealt with. Our sin, it doesn't go away, and it's not something that is just left. It's dealt with. We either reap the rewards of what we have sown, or God forgives us, and we are able to move on and be healthy again. Will you continue to hide? How do you answer that question? Where are you? So they're hiding. It says, and then he says, Who told you that you were naked? By the way, it says, um, no, I'm just gonna go. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put me here with. She gave me some fruit and from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Look, sin doesn't just cause us to hide. It causes us to blame. The world around us does not take responsibility for anything anymore. But as Christians, we're called to take responsibility for ourselves and for our sin. That actually, this is a completely countercultural idea. If you talk to somebody who finds himself in a difficult situation, they're generally going to tell you that they're a victim, and they're going to tell you why all the things, the situations in their life have caused them to be in this place of failure. They're going to say, but you don't know how I was brought up, and you don't know what my parents were like, and you don't know what happened to me, and you don't know this thing about me and that thing about me. And God calls us not to blame, but to take responsibility. Imagine if Adam had just said, I ate. And I am sorry. I ate, forgive me. I mean, that would change completely the entire story. But the first thing they do is they go to blame. He says, She made me do it. She says, the serpent made us do it. And they find themselves doing what sin causes, and that's blaming. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, and this is where God gets into the punishment of what has happened here. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animal, you'll now crawl on your belly. I wonder what the snakes looked like before they weren't crawling on their belly. That would have been really funny. Were they like walking on weird legs or flying? That's kind of what it's assuming here. Like now this is different. You're going to crawl on your belly, right? And you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. By the way, that is a uh, prophecy about Jesus crushing Satan's head with his heel. Um, to the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life and it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until... You've returned to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you will return. Sin creates brokenness and frustration. And I, maybe that frustration part is even better said by it creates labor or painful labor or painful toil. It's not that you didn't have to work the ground before this curse and it's not that you didn't have pain in childbearing before But the painful labor and the painful toil are the things. In other words, hey, if you want me to remove my hand from these things, then you will see how difficult they will become. They will not be easy. You will work for everything you pull out of the ground to eat. And you will work to fill the earth, right? The dominion that I gave you and the job that I gave you was to fill the earth and to be in charge of creation. And both of those things have become more difficult because of the sin that was brought into this. By the way, not just that, the sin created brokenness in their relationship, in the future relationships of their family, between God and humanity as a whole, right? In the New Testament, we see that Jesus becomes the perfect Adam, the one who didn't sin, the one who did show us what it looks like to follow God, that in fact, Adam destroyed man's relationship with God, and Jesus brought those two things back together through his sacrifice. But sin creates brokenness and frustration. But that's not the end here, because this is what God does. He picks Adam and Eve up, and yes, He removes them from the garden. Right Here's what it says. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, This man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And for the first time in history, right, blood has been shed for sin. Because God kills animals and makes garments of skin for Adam. You know, one of the things it said about Adam as he tried to make garments to protect himself when God came into the garden looking for them is it basically translates to the idea that Adam created a belt which I immediately went to this idea that Adam was walking around the garden wearing like a championship wrestling belt just by himself, just being a a dude letting it all hang out, right, with his championship belt on. And when God came walking, he was very embarrassed by that. I think anyone should be embarrassed by that weak, pathetic way of trying to fix the problem. And what I want you to understand is that when you sin, you are not qualified to fix the problem. We throw our own effort at it and our own control at it and we say, I'm going to be in charge here and I'm going to do this. And what it amounts to is us wearing a belt and not covering the sin at all. Not being able to cover and pay for the sin at all. What God does here is He makes garments for Adam and Eve and uses the skin of animals that He Himself kills. That blood is shed so that their sins can be forgiven. It's... The, maybe the first time in scripture where we see the gospel on display that blood would pay for sin right that something would have to die so that new life and rebirth could happen and that's the gospel in a nutshell is that sin becomes an opportunity to display the gospel Like, at the end of this you might be saying okay well Maybe I should just work on being less of a sinner, and sure, yeah. But you might have missed it then, if that's what you think is what I'm at. I'm not just saying try harder to be a better person. That That's nonsense. What I'm saying is give your control over to Jesus and let him pay the price for your sin. Put the gospel on display in your life by saying... I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness, and the only way that I can receive forgiveness is through a relationship with Jesus, because I can't cover my own sin. My best effort is making a championship belt, and I'm still naked. And God's best effort is to actually fix the problem, and change the outcome, and create wholeness in my life, and heal me, and bring me back to what He wants me to be doing, creating His kingdom, and being in charge of His creation, and Loving and serving the world around me. Like maybe you've tried your own way and it just doesn't add up to what you wanted it to add up to. Yeah. So God created it. Without God in the picture, it just ends in shambles. It ends in us grasping for more control and trying to be in charge instead of receiving grace and allowing God to be the one that does the the healing and the change in our lives. We don't expect everyone here to have it together. We say all the time, this is an imperfect church for imperfect people. If you're perfect, you're not welcome. Because we understand that in our imperfection, God meets us, offers us forgiveness, brings about healing in our lives. And that's what he's called us to. The question is, are we going to continue to fight him and hide and blame and not take responsibility and all these things, or are we going to meet Jesus in our brokenness? Let me pray. God, you know, you know exactly where every person is here. You know that there are people that are putting on the face, acting like everything's okay, and yet you are breaking them down. And you are calling for them to make a decision to follow you, to to give control of their lives to you, to bring, drag some things out into the light, to confess some things to you, to allow the blood that you shed on the cross to be uh, sufficient for their sin. God, would you allow us to not be the type of people that act like we have no sin, but to be the type of people that meet our sin head on, continue to confess, and allow you to be in control of those parts of our lives that we don't want to admit. God, I pray this would be a healing community where when people confess things to each other, God, that you bring about healing in that confession. That you bring about joy. You replace the stress and the tension that we live with with joy and peace and love that we can understand in a relationship with you. God, would you just be in charge? The way that you created it, the way you designed us, Help us not to leave or to walk away without dealing with what's going on in our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.